Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to The Commons. I'm your host, Brian Phillips, here part of the Cersei Podcast Network for another conversation about school life and leadership. Uh, I'm joined today uh, by a very special guest, Dr. Gordon Wilson. Uh, Dr. Wilson, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Brian. It's good to be here. Well, uh, it's great to have you. Uh, We're going to talk today a bit about uh, the natural sciences and science education, which I think is an area of great need for uh, homeschoolers and classical educators. Um, So, uh, Dr. Wilson, you are a senior fellow of natural history at New St. Andrews College in Moscow, Idaho, right? Um, And and you taught at Liberty University for quite some time as well. Yeah, almost 12 years, 11 and a half years. Wonderful. So, so you've worked in science education for, for quite some time. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so tell us your story. How, how did you first know that you wanted to, to study the natural sciences? Uh, and, well, and to do it for a living. <laughs> yeah, uh, very early on when we were um, when I was growing up in Annapolis, Maryland, I um, I was just innately fascinated with life. Uh, I remember I was either five or six, and my brothers brought home a couple box turtles from the woods across the street, and I was just riveted. I thought this was the neatest thing in the world, seeing a. I remember vaguely a crab from the Chesapeake and just living things just fascinated me. Um, when I was, my mom was Christmas shopping. I remember seeing this, this thing called the invisible man where you have this, you've probably seen them, those plastic human models that mm-hmm. uh, are see-through and you see all the organs inside. I don't know if you've ever seen those, yeah, but I was, yeah. I was, uh, you know, I wanted that. It was just fascinating. So um, pretty early on, I knew, I didn't know what the word biology was, but uh, I, I just innately had that, that in me. You know, mm-hmm. God put it in, planted it in me. And at various stages through elementary school, junior high, I went through different phases, uh, dinosaurs, um, reptiles is my main thing, mm-hmm. still is, but uh, that, that was early on. Yeah, I had a little shark phase during, um, you know, junior high. Wanted to be a marine biologist for a while, but then I realized somewhere in high school, college, um, more 
I think it really gelled in my mind in college that everything I uh, learned, I had a uh, insatiable desire to teach. Hmm. So I could either annoy my mom, dad, my sister <laughs> by teaching them these things, these facts that they didn't want to know, <laughs> or I could um, get paid to do that. All right. Um, so that was the choice, either get paid or annoy people. That... <laughs> or get paid to annoy people. Oh, yeah. Get right? paid to annoy people. And yeah. I, I really try not to uh, annoy people <laughs> in my uh, teaching. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, well, so it sounds like you you just had sort of a a, a curiosity and mm-hmm. insatiable it's, desire to know more about this. That's yeah. that's wonderful. And very early on, so I felt sorry for my fellow students who were popping from major to major. It's like I knew what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I was going to do it. Yeah. So I switched from biology to biology education. Um, because of that realization that I had to teach. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, with all of that background in in science education, and let's let's talk a little bit about that. A, a lot of our homeschoolers, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of our listeners are uh, homeschooling parents, um, classical school teachers, uh, somehow involved in classical education, right? And I'm speaking in big generalizations here, uh, but many classical educators are not quite sure what to do with the natural sciences, right? Um, we're right. great with literature, great with writing, history, um, you know, the classical languages, but not not so much with science. So um, starting with younger students then, um, what advice do you have, say, for homeschooling parents or teachers in in prov- who are providing that early science education? What what should they be doing? What sorts of habits should they be cultivating? Well, at the younger years, and I think this is very adaptable to a homeschool situation, and that is let them explore. If you have scruples about, you know, animals in the house, I mean, we need to just loosen up our standards and uh, really let the children enjoy nature. Many kids, you know, biologists just don't grow out of it, but many, (laughs) many many kids just love nature. They want to catch frogs, turtles, and, and I say, let them. Yeah. Because the more they actually have hands-on experience with uh, living things, plants and animals, and have the parents, even if they don't know much about it, uh, try to uh, encourage the children to look at details. Mm-hmm. You know, frog is not just a, fro- a frog. Some people just, you know, seen one frog, you've seen them all. But it's it's great to take what is local and figure out, get local field guides and start to uh, learn with your children mm-hmm. what are the, and if you don't know, if you can't and identify then work with your child uh, through it. And then if you have nearby colleges or universities, you know, ask, ask experts that would know or naturalist societies near you. Uh, that way you're learning with your kids. They're learning more than just it's a frog or it's a turtle or it's a lizard or it's a, you know, it's a flower. Um, explore, look at detail. 
And um, kids, uh, they just have a natural desire to enjoy that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that we we can squelch that desire by acad- making it all sterile and academic, turn it into a list of objectives. And there's there's nothing particularly wrong with with that. It's just you you don't want to squelch that innate uh, love of it. Mm-hmm. So let them explore. Let yeah. them you know they learn more about um, raising a, you know raising a bucket of tadpoles uh, into frogs. Um, they learn more than if they tried to learn it in a textbook. Yeah. Now I think that's that you grow into that, but once they have a real experiential knowledge of this stuff, they may not know the details, the academics of it, but then they've got that foundation you can build upon when they get into the older grades. Well, and, and you can start to systematize it, right? But it it's always in the context of enjoyment. I think too often our curriculum uh, we become curriculum Pharisees. And we, the love of, the love of learning is, is squished mm-hmm. and we got to be careful that we keep that love of learning alive right. and on fire. Yeah, right. If you let them pursue their curiosity, if you let them explore, then the things that you add on and you, and you systematize, you know, the academic yeah. side yeah. is going to be founded on that curiosity and that, that yes. love of the thing itself. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, man, I, my son Asher, uh, we have four children. Uh, our son Asher is eight and I, I think he's going to really love what you just said because he, <laughs> he would spend all day long right. hunting frogs, catching right. frogs, and, watching frogs. <laughs> yeah. And you've, you've got to, you know, I understand you have to have school, so it can't just all be a <laughs> right. rampage right. Out, out in the wilds. Um, right. But taking that knowledge and systematizing it in a way that still, uh, causes delight. Right. Um, that's great. Yeah. And, and the other part of this that I I just want to throw in that, that fascinates me about what you said, or it's an important connection is that, um, as, as parents or as teachers, when we're guiding our children or our students, into systematizing that that knowledge that they're gaining, uh, understanding what it is that they're observing, it's also helping rekindle some curiosity that a lot of us adults have lost along the way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's great. You know, I remember at Liberty University when I came into a new uh, unit, say fungi, and I always like to connect the the lecture topic with their experience. Hmm. And so I said, any of you rip open a rotten log and seen white or yellow fuzz growing through it. What's really a shame and many, many have, Mm -hmm. but probably more haven't. And I thought, Oh, what that's a tragedy because Mm -hmm. um, I can't connect the, the more academic side of it to their own experience because they don't have an experience. Yeah. Um, the, the only mushrooms they they've seen is in on super Mario brothers and, um, <laughs> on right. some video, 
some video game or on and pizza. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's a, yeah, on pizza. It's just okay. Let's at least pizza is real, and and I right. can hook that. I actually do hook that. Yeah. But um, anything that you can hook, um, experiences that you can hook to the the academic, it's mm-hmm. great. So so how how should science education then change or develop as as students get older, um, or or does it? Well, that's that's. I think I sort of run ahead. That's what I was okay. um, yeah. men- mentioning. Is that um, of the early years? It's more experiential. Yes, there's there's knowledge of more of the grammar side of the trivium where you're learning about what's this, what's that, what's mm-hmm. this other thing. Starting to know and identify and 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 really honing those observation skills. And then as they grow older, they start to make connections and start to uh, work towards um, sort of a taxonomy saying, well, mm-hmm. these are, um, notice that these creatures all have, um, you can either memorize that they have a backbone mm-hmm. or you can actually, when you're holding these animals, you can, yeah, I'm not saying dissect them, but <laughs> holding these animals, you can feel their, their bones and mm-hmm. you can start to say, okay, what do all these have in common? Um, this, this, this bird and this reptile and, and they all have a skeleton, but mm-hmm. it's so much better and easier to learn that when you've actually held the creature and you've felt their bones inside their flesh. And um, now this concept of vertebrate is not something I just memorize. Mm-hmm. Um, I've experienced vertebrateness so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so that's what I, that's how it should shift is um, taking that observational knowledge, uh, more grammar, and then starting to tie it together um, in, in logical patterns mm-hmm. um, and, and move on towards rhetoric. Um, so in, you know, applying that trivium to, the sciences of, of, of taking all of these parts, learning how to systematize and, and be able to articulate the, the things that they've seen in a very coherent, rational way. You know, uh, I, on, in the sciences, the way I get students is not creative writing. I don't want them to <laughs> do creative writing. It's science. So I want them, I want it to be written well, right. but they can write about their observations and detailed observations or life cycles and things that they've, and that means that they have to start to integrate and synthesize the mm-hmm. material, but it's all they, they've got, they've got stuff to work with because yeah. they've got all of that observational knowledge. Right. And instead of just the textbook memorization, yeah, instead, yeah. right, right. And the kids that have really gone after it, um, well, like especially farm kids, you know, that really have experienced biology in a real tangible way, you know, they usually do better, especially if the teacher really um, hooks them mm-hmm. uh, and they really, that you know, they, they're really clued, uh, cued in to what you're saying. Whereas a lot of other people are going, I, I don't know what you've, you're talking about. Right. Um, they're like, yeah, I've seen the inside of a pig. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, those, those experiences stick with you. Yeah. And yeah. also the kids, you don't have to be a farm kid, but somebody that's been out and seen stuff and has sort mm-hmm. of a, 
a hobby, like they're really into this or really into that. Those people really are eager to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, some are just kind of punching the clock and saying, yeah, got to know this. And that's, that's uh, sad. So that's why everything I do as a teacher, I am just, I pour myself into it uh, with as much enthusiasm as I can, because there's nothing, uh, I get absolutely no satisfaction out of teaching someone who's not interested. Right. And so I do everything I can to um, foster, foster an interest. So, so letting your kids explore, cultivating that curiosity, uh, giving them as many experiences as you can, and then they can then systematize, systematize it. And, and sort out and make connections. And that's, yeah. that's great. Um, so experiences like my, <laughs> uh, my son's helping me dig a, a dead fox out from under the barn. Uh, that's good experience. Yeah. Okay. They'll learn all sorts <laughs> about uh, fo- some fox anatomy. Uh, they, they'll learn about decomposers. Yes. Um, yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. Ba- bacteria, um, not only bacteria and fungi and all of the stench that those things put out, but also, um, it, you know, part of the, the decomposition is maggots and, right, right. you know, and those are fly larvae. So you can, even in that gross, gross experience, they can learn quite a bit. Right. Well, that makes me feel a little better as a father too, you know, exposing them to that and yeah, yeah. <laughs> here boys, grab a shovel, you know? Yep. Um, so you've done a lot of wonderful work, um, in, in this regard, as far as, uh, uh, maybe not giving hands-on experiences, but, but exposing and showing this, this art and beauty of observing, um, creation in the world around us. And I want to talk first about the riot and the dance. That's one mm-hmm. of the projects uh, that you've done in recent years. Yeah. So, um, and it's, it's, it's gone in a lot of different directions. Uh, as far as, uh, I believe there's a, there's a curriculum, a textbook. Uh, well, that oh, came first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the textbook I wrote, um, I named it the riot and the dance. And then when my nephew, Andy Wilson, um, mm-hmm. uh, asked me to be the narrator, uh, he wanted to name it after the book. Hmm. Um, it's, it wasn't necessarily a fight in the sense that I'm the narrator and I'm the author, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, the riot in the dance movie is just flat entertainment. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, you can learn from it, but it's a cinematic celebration of creation. Whereas the textbook is, is curriculum. It's, mm-hmm. um, this is a high school, um, or non-major college text. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Tell us a little bit about how that got started and its its purpose. I know you you mentioned that the the textbook is for use in in high school or perhaps in college. But what was what was your aim in in writing it? We, I've my family and I've enjoyed the the film, which we'll talk about in right. just a second. But what what was the purpose of that that whole project? The film or the the book? The uh, both. Okay. Um, the book, real simply put, is I, I wrote it because I, I really dislike textbooks. Mm-hmm. I have a love-hate with them. Mm-hmm. I like the knowledge that I can gain from them, but it's written in a sort of a dry, insipid, um, right. data dump style. And there's a certain layout of textbooks I don't like. The single space, double column, marginalia, like crazy 
little insets that are colored that say, you know, all of this other stuff is boring, but let me try to interest you with this little colored box that uh, goes onto some little tangent. It's like, well, you're telling them that the other stuff's not interesting. And so one thing I didn't like is just besides the writing style, I didn't like the format. I, I wanted my book to read like a, a novel. I wanted the pictures to coincide, have very, very small captions, not have the page cluttered with all sorts of bit, you know, figure and a table. And yes, I have pictures, but I didn't want it to be cluttered uh, in such a way that when the student turns the page, he didn't even know what to do. Like, what am I supposed right. to do next? Am I supposed to read? Am I supposed to read the marginalia? Am I supposed to read the figure? Am I supposed to read? It's like, it's too fragmented. Mm-hmm. And I think they do that. By, and then anyone who writes a textbook follows, you know, monkey see, monkey do, and they just keep following each other in this, I think, ugly format. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's getting more and more colorful, but it's, 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 it's um, fostering some ADD or something because I let's just read, let's read the textbook. And then I want to read in a, in a person, I want to write in a personal tone so that the person reading it will go, Oh, this person that's writing is a human being and he's using analogies and illustrations and anecdotes. And he's, he's sounding like he's just talking to me over the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, about these things. And that's how I wanted to write. So I was sort of breaking all the pedagogical rules of writing a textbook format as well as writing mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is the answer to all of our, you know, science curriculum problem. I was just doing what, you know, based on my ability, which I'm not saying is amazing. I'm just saying I wanted to write a book that I would enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If no. I was a science kid. Right. And, and so that's what <laughs> I did. Is I wrote right. <laughs> it and I wanted to title it in a way that also communicates that this is not your typical right. uh, biology, you know, where it says the, the title is essentials of biological sciences or something. It was like the riot in the dance. Right. Like, what's all that about? And, right. and it sort of makes people curious. And so they have to read the introduction too. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, now our, our family uh, we love the film that was done, the ride in dance film. So, so first, uh, when my kids found out that I was interviewing you for the podcast today, they, they wanted to know, are there more films coming? Make sure and ask yeah. him. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so we've what done, if- um, we're finished. Uh, we've wrapped up number two. And so that, uh, I can't tell you any details other than soon. All right. It's, it's coming out. So soon. stay stay tuned. You heard it stay here. Stay tuned. Yeah. yeah. And it's right <laughs> in the dance. Well, at the end of the first one, they should did they see the teaser? They they did. I, I think they they wanted a guarantee. Yeah. Um, the, the, <laughs> the teaser is real. Right. Um, right. Yes. It's it's uh right in the dance water. Okay. And it's it's uh both fresh and salt. Okay. Well, and that's, that's good news. Thank you. Um, and, and just my personal note, I like the first one a lot. Um, I think number two is, um, better. Oh, wow. I think it's, I think it's, um, I, I thought it was just flat better. 
Well, I can guarantee you. So, man, you, you get ex- more experience. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm not saying everybody, but, um, you know, and I tend to be more terrestrial um, person and I, I've always been landlocked. So I do like aquatic life, but I'm just more of a, a, a land body. And, uh, and yeah. it's the fact that I like this one more is, says something. That does. Well, you've made four Phillips children very happy. Uh, so that, good. that's good. Um, and I hope that it'll be more than just this one too. Lord willing, okay. uh, as God hopefully blesses this, um, we will, you know, think, think in terms of Attenborough mm-hmm. in BBC and um, Planet Earth and Blue Planet. Uh, he's in his 90s, well into his 90s. Mm. He's at least 93. Wow. Um, and he's still going. So, I mean, Lord willing, if I'm hopefully still doing these types of films into my 90s, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's great. We look forward to that. Um, it, early in the film, you you made a, a, a statement that I, I think is really worth stopping to think about. And it's something that you've, you've hinted at already, but I, I would like to bring it up again. You mentioned that if you wanted to study Michelangelo, you would have to spend a lot of time closely observing his works, right? right. And, and you've talked about the importance of observation and exploration, but that relates particularly to our study of creation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that, that um, that's something that we're, that we're sort of missing as we approach studying the natural sciences is that we, a lot of the wonder and curiosity is sort of sucked out of it because we're right. seeing this as, as, as just an academic exercise. Right. right. Um, so um, what can parents or teachers do um, to, to adjust that and, and, and uh, sort of change the expectation, if you will, uh, when it comes to uh, cultivating that wonder and curiosity? Well, I think it, it partly has to do with the book, but it really has a lot to do with how the teacher is approaching it. If mm-hmm. if the teacher is approaching it as, okay, here we go, kids, roll up your sleeves. Here's another, we've got to learn this. And uh, we've, we become slaves of curriculum. I'm all for a curriculum. I wrote curriculum, but are we, you know, I, th- I think of the, the, the verse Jesus said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But I want to sub in curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> curriculum is made for man, not man for curriculum. And I think we really get it backwards. We, mm. we, we become slaves of this, 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 this inanimate um, <laughs> book yeah, yeah. that says, and we stress ourselves and we got to get through these objectives and we got to do this. And I would rather uh, have students, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with being organized, but usually curriculum is there's usually too much crammed into a certain mm-hmm. piece of time. Right. And we feel victorious when we've actually checked all the boxes and we've gotten through all the lessons and we've done all the labs and we've, we've done everything. Mm-hmm. And the student, our kids hate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I, have we been successful here? No, hmm. but we think we've been successful because we've done all the units. Right. It's much better 
Um, you'd say, well, it'd be better to do both, but yeah, uh, I would rather get through 80% or 75% of it and have fostered a love and excitement. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're, if they're mesmerized, say doing a lab with a microscope and I really, really encourage, um, homeschoolers to get decent microscopes, not Campbell's soup microscope, but decent microscope, you know, Campbell's soup labels where you turn in this, you know, right. <laughs> get, it's like, get a decent microscope, Amscope, really good. A lot of bang for the buck, uh, good optics, solid scopes. But as they're looking at say an amoeba and they're mesmerized or a paramecium and they're mesmerized, and they're just really enjoying the experience. And we go, okay, enough. We've finished that. You've drawn your little picture. Now we have to go do mm -hmm. all these other things. Mm -hmm. So we've, um, I'd rather have them sit longer at one thing that they're really enjoying than to mm -hmm. push them on and get everything done and be, you know, slogging. Right. Um, right. But there's a balance. I mean, I, I'm all for discipline too, but we've got to have that balance of not being a slave to the curriculum. Yeah. You're, you're the master of the curriculum. Right. And I, I think a lot of teachers tend to, to err on the side of, we want to get through the book. Yeah. And, that's, that's, yeah. and I've done that. I think yeah. we've all done that. Yeah. So, so many teachers use that expression of uh, their goal for the years. We, we need to get through the book as yeah. if, as if um, the, science classes like a root canal you know yeah <laughs> or get through the book like we are appeasing this unnamed unknown god right called yeah. curriculum and we got to get through and do all of our uh, obeisance right by getting right. through it and um we have haggard burnt out kids that yeah yeah hate and all of this is glorious the 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 god's creation is glorious Mm -hmm. And every aspect of it should be pointing us to his glory, but we often separate it, divorce it from him and mm -hmm. his creative work. When we're looking at whatever it is, uh, a mammal or a bird or a plant or a reptile, we need to realize that those are architect, that that is an architectural design. Mm -hmm. All of it is an architectural design that came from the mind of God. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we sort of say, oh, this is biology, as if biology is a, uh, this, this separate thing that is not an extension of God's creativity. Right. Um, we sort of know it up here, but we don't really think it. Right. I, I think if, if that were really, uh, rooted in us, uh, we would probably take a lot more seriously, uh, the responsibility we have in, in keeping mm -hmm. that, that wonder, that, uh, curiosity and love of, yeah. of observing the things around us. That's great. Um, so I'd encourage, um, parents to just, if anything, if they're haggard, they're, the kids are going to be haggard. Sure. So, um, to really, if they have to weed things down mm -hmm. and make it, uh, learn it in hopefully a way that uh, invokes joy in them. And yeah. that will be, I think, joy in knowledge will often be, um, it's contagious. 
Mm-hmm. Not always, but it, it, if, if the teacher's gifted at it, it'll be contagious. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to talk about one other uh, project that you've, that you've put out just recently. Um, there's a book entitled A Different Shade of Green, which was published earlier this year. Um, yeah, in that, September, in, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so really recent. Um, in that work, you you address some of the extreme reactions and tendencies surrounding environmentalism and and care of the environment. Um, now, this is a this is an issue that tends to invite a lot of extreme responses, and right. that's another part of the book that you address. So, what are some of the approaches that you've seen when it comes to um, how we should treat the environment and, and interact with with the creation itself? Well, I, I talk about this right off the bat in the book of the various the, the spectrum of views um, mm-hmm. that Christians have, ranging from real anti-environmental, because we associate uh, any kind of environmental issue with leftist, extreme mm-hmm. liberals, mm-hmm. and their, their um, wrong-headed agenda. Mm-hmm. And so we just toss the baby out of the bathwater. And right. so there's that kind of um, revolt in many Christians. And then there's others that have sort of um, drunk the Kool-Aid of the environmental agenda. Mm-hmm. And both extremes are wrong-headed. And so I, I talk about that and I um, address that, I think, fairly well. Um, the environment, we often... Uh, think, well, the environment belongs to environmentalists. But if we just change the word and call it creation, it all of a sudden changes our view of it. Wait, oh, is environment separate than creation? No. Um, well, environment is part of creation. It's a subset of creation that we're interacting with. And we need to realize if we need to rename it just so we can change our attitude towards it, <laughs> Because we think the environment is just this realm of environmentalists. And right. we need to, the right. earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Mm-hmm. And um, he's given us dominion. So um, I try to um, steer a course, uh, navigate these troubled waters, very controversial waters, mm-hmm. in a way that is just, I'm trying to be as biblical as possible without right. falling off of either side of the boat. Right. <laughs> right. Excuse me. So those are the the two often the people that are interested in environmental that are Christians in, interested in environmental issues have have too often adopted um, the view of secularists. Mm-hmm. You know, they they become either global warming alarmists or they um, climate change is a, a big problem, and mm-hmm. they all sorts of imbalances happen both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's always shocking to me how, how much a thing has changed when it becomes an ism. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and environmentalism is, is no exception. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do you, why do you think Christians have had such a difficult time finding, finding our place in, in the conversation about the environment? Well, we want to set up the antithesis, and because the environmentalists, which don't have, they don't have a Christian biblical worldview, they are 
leading the charge. And maybe they have valid concerns. Mm -hmm. Usually they're exaggerated. Sometimes they have concerns and they're calling it a crisis when it's not a crisis. And so we see their overreactions and their, their, their zeal, and it's all founded on a, a non-Christian foundation. And so we, we, we say, I don't want to be at all associated with that. And right. so we take a, sort of a very contrary position, and we need to realize, hey, um, if we don't like how they're doing it, then we should be. We shouldn't just be reactionary cranks. We should be figuring out what our God-given role is in mm-hmm. caring for our the creation. Now, I I'm not a big political monger. I'm not. Um, I'm not even a political animal in any sense. So I have no interest in imposing. Uh, you know, having Christians set up environmental rigs and and. Imposing right. it on everybody. Um, the book, the flavor of the book is more grassroots, not political. Yeah. yeah. And I, I want um, uh, people to be, you know, this ties back into riot and dance. I want people to first uh, see see the creative aspects of God, love His creation, love God, love His creation, and mm-hmm. be leaders in this area that are and is saturated with a biblical view not that we are uh, that man is a a parasite or a virus on the cre- creation we are to rule it we are to rule it well we are to be one thing that i you know usually the word we bandy about in in, in you know when christians become concerned for the environment we usually word usually use the word stewardship Mm-hmm. And I, I, I um, explain that I, I don't use that word because mm-hmm. it's not in the Bible. The, the word is dominion. It's stronger. Now, I think that good dominion will look a lot like good stewardship. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that um, dominion is sovereign rule. Mm-hmm. Stewardship is something where we're, it's on loan and we're taking care of something for somebody else. And to some extent, we say, yeah, it's everything belongs to God. But in another sense, God sort of signs the title over to us in Genesis 1. I mean, he gives sovereign rule. We can either rule badly or rule well. And so mm-hmm. we need to first love God. And I'm not saying, okay, let's, let's be activists. And I, I don't do that. I want people to love God, love his creation, and then exercise the principles that I lay out in the book at the level of their influence, their sphere sovereignty. I don't want them to, you know, start agitating for change and become (laughs) activists. That's just not, that's not my style. I want it to be grassroots. Well, that's, that's a good way to fall back into one of the extremes that you talk about earlier in the book, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, you address a lot of important issues in the book related to the, the environment, um, creation itself and our view of that, uh, food, caring for animals and more. There's a lot of stuff in the book. So that Mm -hmm. kind of a encouragement for people to go out and, and, and find it. Um, 
But there's a chapter later in the book entitled Christianity is the solution, not the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my opinion, I think this is one of the most, this is one of the most important sections of the book. Um, so, um, for our last question today is, um, why have some blamed Christianity for environmental problems or what they perceive as environmental problems? And then why do you argue that Christianity is actually the solution? The basically, um, I sort of go back to this article written way back. I forget the exact date. Uh, Lynn White wrote a book, um, uh, about the ecological crisis Mm -hmm. it was probably back in the 60s and it it basically lays a lot of the blame on a christian view of the world and i think um basically he he makes a uh, he credits christianity and i think this is a true credit with science and technology i think that's clear I, i i write that nancy percy really documents that well in Soul of Science, where um, we have that that science and technology arose and grew out of the rich soil of, the, of a Christian biblical worldview. Now, he basically said, because we, the Christian worldview generated this, and because our, our now our... Um, overbearing rule on the environment has caused so many ecological disasters um, back in the old, before the Christian worldview was there, everybody was sort of animistic and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you, if you did something that disturbed the environment, you had to appease the God of the earth or God of the trees or whatever, some mm-hmm. sort of uh, oblation. Now, uh, he basically says that a, a Christian worldview, you can have this uh, this uh, mood of indifference towards the creation. And that's where I think he, he um, makes an illogical step. Hmm. Just because we generated science and technology does not mean that uh, it will be used in a Christian way. Uh, science and technology is the tool and it can be uh, used well or it can be used badly. If you put it, all of this great power in the hands of greedy people, mm-hmm. they can use that power to do a lot of damage, to maximize mm-hmm. profits. Um, so um, I basically go against his thesis by saying that Christ- greed is not Christian. And so even if you're using tools, like Christians use the internet, um, we're using the internet right now. Um, and it, but the internet can be used for great evil too. Mm-hmm. It can be used for great good. It can be used for great evil. Right. So that's basically why I think Christianity has been blamed. And I think that blame is um, just wrong headed. I think it's false. But I also uh, think that we need to get back in the the driver's seat and start exercising godly dominion. We've just too often said they're doing it wrong. They're so bad. 
the secularists are doing it wrong with. They've just basically, we've abdicated mm-hmm. in our, mm-hmm. our global responsibility. And the seculars have, you know, no one was sitting in the driver's seat there. Right. <laughs> and so they right. just jumped in and yeah. um, the, the car's running. There's just no driver. Right. Yeah. Right. And they've jumped in and we, we get mad at how they're doing it. But we, if we want to do it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we have to rethink the issue, think it through in a biblical way, and then um, start. Um, I say the solution is the gospel, because once you've reconciled yourself to God, um, again, I'm steering away from activism. I want people to be reconciled to God. And as they're reconciled to God, a lot of other dislocations will be healed, as Francis Schaeffer says in his uh, book, Pollution and the Death of Man. Um, they will be healed, not just uh, our reconciliation to God, but our reconciliation to our fellow man. That you know that starts to be healed, and then our relationship to nature. Um, we we need to be balanced people. There's so many great psalms. Um, I just I I talk about Psalm 104 as being a really good picture of um, how God views the in the creation. And I think we need to pattern our view of creation off of, hmm. of that Psalm. Well, Dr. Wilson, I've, I, I hate that we're out of time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, well, good. And it's, uh, it, I it's, have too. It's encouraging to me as a, as a father to homeschoolers and as a classical educator myself. So thank you for, for taking the time to join us. Uh, for our listeners, make sure and and check out The Ride and the Dance, uh, the, the textbook, uh, the film, and stay tuned for um, hopefully very soon, uh, volume two, uh, the second film, um, and make sure to check out A Different Shade of Green, uh, also by Gordon Wilson, just released a couple of months ago, um, wonderful book about uh, a, a biblical approach to uh, Christian's responsibility to the environment, to creation. Mm. So, um, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Brian. It's been great to talk to you. Well, uh, that concludes this episode. So, uh, I'm your host, Brian Phillips, uh, signing off for now. Thank you for listening to The Commons. We hope you'll join us again very soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.